Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writers Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writers Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves. Uh, starting here with Wendy, just tell us uh, who you are and where we've seen your name on our TV screens. Um, I'm Wendy Molino, and I work on Bob's Burgers um, with my sister, who's just about to introduce herself as well. Here I come. <laughs> I'm Lizzie Molino. Thanks. Um, I also work on Bob's Burgers. And you guys, uh, tell us some of the other things just in the past uh, that where you have come from. Um, well, Bob's Burgers was our first real TV gig. We do some feature work as well, okay. but um, primarily Bob's. Yeah, I yeah. worked on a short-lived talk show. Megan Mullally had a talk show, and I worked on that yeah. before Lizzie and I were a team. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, right. And I was an assistant, so you probably <laughs> heard of me around town. Of course. <laughs> Getting coffee, greatest one. The I best at it. picking yeah. up Super newspapers. Super famous assistant. Yep. Yeah. That was me. Uh, well, I know people want to hear about that stuff. So we will get into it in a moment. Uh, but Stephanie? Uh, I'm Stephanie Leader, and you most recently would have seen my name on Faking It on MTV. Uh, prior to that, 10 Things I Hate About You, Melissa and Joey, Men at Work, and I'm so jealous that you guys are sisters in a team. I really want a sister. <laughs> we can see if our parents are looking for another kid. That would be amazing. <laughs> like a grown kid? <laughs> just, easy maybe they just adopt one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you could get in still, I think. I'll check. Krista. Um, I'm Krista Vernoff, and um, most recently I've been writing Shameless. Um, and before that, I, I'm so old, you guys. Okay, uh, let's see. My first job was Law & Order. I wrote an episode of Law & Order. 19 years ago. <laughs> and then uh, I was on a but show. You, I saw you were on the Party 5 spinoff, right? Time of Your Life. That was my yeah. first staff writer job. That's what I was starring about. Jennifer Love Hewitt and Jennifer Garner in mm-hmm. New York, trying wow. to make it trying to make it big. Uh, that was my staff writer job. And then I went to Charmed for three years. Uh, and then I was on Wonder Falls, mm-hmm. another little little cult, cult classic. And, uh, and then I went to Grey's Anatomy, where I was the um, head writer and co-showrunner for the 
for seasons two through seven. I was there seasons oh. one through seven. And then I left there and I did some consulting on private practice mm-hmm. and, and then Shameless. Great. Um, I want to talk about Charmed for a minute. Okay. I feel like I've had so <laughs> many Charmed writers in here. What it, was it about that show that everyone goes on to become these powerhouse showrunners? Okay, before I answer that question, I just have to like geek out. I have kids at home who are obsessed with your show, and they're oh, going to think I'm uh-huh. the coolest person. My boyfriend's kids are 12 and 16, and they, they, they literally, they're like, it's the best show that ever has been. Oh, just so, so you know. So I feel like we weren't allowed to Google each other or know who each other was, but I'm a little starstruck, <laughs> and they're going to think I'm super cool. So I just want to say You're that. talking about the Megan Mullally show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Huge fans. Right. Um, Short-lived, but... Charmed had an extraordinary staff of writers because Brad Kern had an an incredible eye for talent. He just... We all became successful showrunners. We all came in there as baby writers, and everybody I was on that staff with is running and creating shows. How was that show run? Like, did it prepare you all to go off and create and run shows? It did, in good ways and not so easy ways. Mm-hmm. It did because um, Brad was incredible with story. He taught me how to break story. I was considered like the character girl. You know, like I could write character, but in my first year, they didn't think I was so good with story. And then what, by the time I went, I didn't realize it was happening, but when I left Charmed after three years, I was suddenly considered the story breaker in the room. And so Brad was really good at breaking story. I imagine he is. He still works. Uh, And really good at teaching us how to break story. Can you break that down a little for us? I know it's something that we could all use. (laughs) How do you break story? Yeah, like what... (laughs) What did he try to convey? What were the basics of it? Or what Trump. have you taken I with you? I thought it was going to be an easy question. Um, I don't hate Jews. Uh, okay. We're going to cut that out and put it at the beginning. <laughs> cut out the I'm, the least right. Jew hate. I'm the least Jew-hating Nazi you'll ever meet. Um, this isn't going to be a topical in a month when he's impeached. So. Excellent. Okay, good. Um, He'll probably be a really cool guy by then. Like, this won't even, people will have forgotten that he ever, yeah. like, was weird. I can only imagine. Yeah, he's going to chill. He's going to be doing, like, paid, like, party appearances by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's all an act. He's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> You guys, I'm not starting with the things I told you I was going to start with. I want to hear from all of you about breaking story because this is, and we're getting real deep real fast, but this is like, this is the biggest part of the job. And it's the thing that I think a lot of new writers don't realize is going to be the biggest part of the job. Certainly I didn't when I started. I will say that the thing I learned at Charmed was the difference between breaking story from character, which I believe is the right way to break story, versus breaking story from a series of moves. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand... I remember my staff writer year, people would say to me, that's just a move. That's just a move. And I didn't know what that's just a move meant. I was like, you know, people move. Like, I, I, I didn't get it. And Brad taught me the difference between sort of diving into the character and saying, where would she need to go next based on her emotional, sort of like Stanislavski work, like mm-hmm. what, like for an actor, like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. What do you want? What do you need? And what is your obstacle to it is like, is like, what is, where would this character go next based on her emotional need versus where would this story go next? Cause I think it's cool. Yeah. Right. That for me was one of the key things I took away, and That's really interesting. and there are some. By the way, there are some shows that I think are great that that are often a series of moves. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. shows can be great 
plot-driven dri- shows. I, I've, I prefer, I prefer as a viewer and as a writer, stories that are broken from character. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was a key. Yeah, and I think I think that's the way a lot of writers feel. But it's like you say, it's not always the shows that we work on. Uh, the shows may be driven by plot. But let's talk about Bob's Burgers for a second. Um, that show feels like as much as it has room to breathe, it's plotted within an inch of its life. Like there's so much plot in those shows. Um, there, are, I think sometimes the the ones that feel more plot heavy too. I think we take a lot from. I mean, we have a, tons of episodes that are sort of homage episodes. Mm-hmm. Like the deepening is Jaws, but it's a shark that's on land that eventually gets into Bob's restaurant, which is other, like, you can't, I think if we, if we go at it from, like, an homage or movie point of view, we have to then find the way that it's so far off of it that it doesn't seem, because, like, the um, OT, the outside toilet, which is one that we did, is E.T., uh, but it's a, t- a talking toilet in the woods. I mean, so I think those ones we do, like, maybe plotted more heavily. I guess the ones, to me, that are more character-driven feel less heavily plotted. Maybe because we're inside of it, I don't notice how much plot we're doing versus how much plot we're not doing. Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on the episode. Like, I mean, I think an episode we did that we got to the plot sort of second was um, Gail making Bob sled, where Bob has to spend basically all of his Thanksgiving with Gail. His yeah, that was all we knew was we wanted yeah. Bob and Gail alone. So it was, you know, that for that one, we just sort of started with that idea of them together. Like, are they trapped in her house, or you know, it ended up being out in the snow. So I, I don't. I think we do sort of a version of both on Bob's because you know we're we're week to week. We don't you don't have to you know keep the story going. Right. So there's episodes right. that are just. You know, really about character, and then there's the big episodes. You know, there was the one with uh, Tina and the Girl Scout cookies, and it was more of like a mystery. And mm-hmm. we've done, you know, so I think for us, it's um, we're not always so plot driven just because our show is like, you know, you can watch it week to week, and our sure. stories don't have to keep going yeah, yeah, yeah. the way they do on, you know, other other series. How how are episodes broken on the show? Are they broken in the room? Or are they broken? Yeah, they're broken. The they're broken in the room. Although everyone, I think at Bob's, and almost everyone has been there literally for seven years. <laughs> we don't change stuff. We had one writer, um, Kit Boss, left to go join uh, One Hours, yeah. um, and he was on iZombie and Rake, I think. But um, other than that, it's it's the same staff. And so I think one thing everybody shares in common is a little bit of independence. A lot of times, people will take their story directly to Lauren and Jim and say, this is what we really want to do next. And that it could get totally nixed. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, you know, it's not, we, in the first few years, we would all sit around in the room and come up with ideas together. And now it's a lot more like by the time somebody's in the room, they're like, okay, Lauren's already signed off on this. We're doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are doing Gail and Bob alone on Thanksgiving. Now, where are we going from there? So it's, I think everybody likes to have a little bit of mix of independence and in the room. And then, so once you have your idea and you're in the room, it's definitely, you know, we tend to split off. Like we've, we have a larger stat. We have 16 or 15 now, I guess. So, you know, people are split up some, we're always in production. We don't have a hiatus. So we always need people on jokes. We need people breaking a new story. And then somebody's usually off on their animatic or their color or something. So, you know, you have like four or five people available to help you break your story. And then a lot of times people will then go like, you know, 
know, once you have some basic cards up, go hoard your board back to your office and do it by yourself for a while Mm -hmm. and then go back in the room. So and now because we've all been there seven years, everyone just has their own style. And we you know, we have one writer who basically likes to break almost all of it by herself. And then she likes to come in and talk about it a little bit and then go away again. And then I'll be like, oh, she's off on script. And we're like, oh, okay, (laughs) you know, but that's just everyone now can have a little bit of their own process because there's such a comfort level of everyone being there so long. Mm -hmm. And Lauren's always treated everyone sort of like a producer. And so even from, you know, when we were baby staff writers, we had a lot of, I would say, independence to break our story a little bit on our own, you know, and then get it signed off on at the various at the various steps. Yeah. And I think just because we've done so many episodes now that at the beginning, there were certain episodes we were driving toward or things that we wanted to do like we need to do you know our louise episode where we really learn more about her character you know what is it like if she gets her first crush or some you know or what is her relationship with tina let's do an episode that really examines that but now we've done you know just so many different episodes and we've gotten a lot of those things out so it's a little more free for people to come up with just any idea and we figure out how to make it work Mm -hmm. Um, well it is it gets to at a certain point it gets to that sort of sitcom sweet spot right where Mm -hmm. you don't have to create moments for the characters anymore you can live in what this world is and And let me just jump ahead for one sec once the script is and do a joke kind of a room punch up yes yeah we do usually uh you know, we'll get n- notes from Lauren, so we'll do like a room that's sort of doing the rewrite, and then we'll just have a joke room that's doing okay. all. Yeah, jokes we usually and- farm a lot of alts on every script just for f- the fun of it in some sure. ways. Or also when we're writing, like if it's like the name of a dance club, we're like, well, this is going to get altered, so let's not work very hard on yeah. naming it. So we'll put in like our first idea right. of the name of the dance club and then go like, well, it's getting altered, so who cares? Um, but yeah, it gets divided into story room, which you stay with your script for the story room. Mm-hmm. You can either do it by yourself or with, you know, one, two, three people, however, mm-hmm. whatever makes you comfortable. And then the jokes get farmed off to whoever else is available at that time. That's great. That's, yeah. that's a good Do system. you not get a hiatus? We no. do not get a hiatus. We don't. But our hours are so good. We work like 10 to 6.30 every day. It's There's like, no yeah. emergencies. There's no onset emergencies. It's animation. It's like having just like a job at a bank or something. You know? We just so work you get like, like regular hours. We also off, run no a bank hiatus. out of the office. <laughs> yeah. Do you see how much pain I'm in? My face is in there. I, I'm like, I'm, I have new gratitude that I've never had before. I'm, thank you for that. <laughs> well, because most people in life don't get a hiatus. Well, yeah. most people in America, but in Europe, right. they do. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, because we're it's just so it's predictable, it predictable, and yeah, it's just a, like <laughs> I like not having a hiatus day to day. because I don't think I know what to do with myself. I like knowing Drink. what's going to happen every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, I let, let's let's go back to the thing I said I was going to lead with, which was uh, talking about pilot season, sure. which were just sort of. On the other side of, for at least people who sold pilots that didn't get picked up, how was your experience, <laughs> experience this year? Um, mine was great and crazy. I uh-huh. sold my pilot the same week I had a baby. Oh my I actually was pitching notes kind of from the hospital. <laughs> I mean, I pitched <laughs> properly to the CW the week before I went into labor, but they had questions. And so there's like a notes Wait, call set up. First of all, you pitched a week before you went into labor. Well, I went into labor six weeks early. Okay. In my naive world. I oh thought I'd God. sell it and have a first draft done by the time the baby's born. I write really fast and really disciplined and like, oh, I'll just have to do a polish after the baby's born and it'll be fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was really oh, no. naive. <laughs> um, so 
yeah, then they set up a call. They wanted me to address some questions. I really pitched a romantic comedy, and they wanted to work at more workplace dramedy, so I had to shift it a little. Interesting. Can you tell us anything about this? Like sure. The, the short, it's short version? It's not being shot, so <laughs> it's called Real Love. Um, it is about a young woman who is a full-stack developer, a coder, and she sort of feels like she'll never meet her perfect match. She works at a dating company that no one will meet their perfect match because it doesn't exist. Like, we're too picky. Like, we can't find love because we can't compromise on anything. And she's sort of on a lark, is thinking, well, the only way you could ever find your perfect match would be to write them, to develop them. And so she starts developing an app that is the perfect boyfriend, not thinking that he would become real. And then, a la Weird Science or her, the app that she develops develops consciousness and becomes self-aware and she falls in love with him. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so this, this is a romantic comedy. It's a romantic comedy. It really is. Yeah, but I had to get some workplace soap into it because that's what CW needed more of. I mean, yeah. it's mm-hmm. remained a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. So they had questions I had to address. I was supposed to do it on Monday. My water broke on Sunday. Oh, I had written notes to myself. I brought them with me to the hospital and my dad, who was a writer, a phenomenal writer, was sitting there across from me. So between contractions, I'm like trying to turn my notes into a Come document on. I can send. I'm not joking. There's, I have pictures. <laughs> and so I'm like, Dad, because I'm, you know, in pain and freaking out. I'm like, what's a synonym for like struggle? <laughs> like, I could, oh my god! Because <laughs> I wrote the word struggle five times on this page. So I emailed it to my producer and. How many minutes did you have? Seven (laughs) seven minutes at that point. I started at three minutes apart and never got it. Okay, seven minutes. It's doable, Lizzie. It's crazy, Stephanie. It's It's crazy. crazy. It's not doable. (laughs) This is insane. No, it was insane. And it went on. So then I had the baby, and then they still had more questions. And so we had another nurse call set up for a week after. My baby's in the NICU because he was premature. And I'm like, I can't do this. I told my producer, my agent, like, I have a baby in the hospital. I can't sell a pilot. And they're like, you haven't even sold it. Like, just have the call. I'm like, oh but my I, god. Yeah, but oh I my god. I can't do this. Oh my god. And, and I'm like, I can do this off season. See if they're open to off season. So apparently that conversation happened. I don't know. So then I get readmitted to the hospital because I had preeclampsia. D- discovered oh after I had the baby. This oh conversation started with her saying my development experience was great. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. You know it doesn't have to be like this. <laughs> my producer studio network were amazing. Great. And How really understanding. was your childhood? <laughs> <laughs> Fairly. <laughs> That's another story. But, um, so then I was in the hospital and I had another call on Monday and so once again like had to like really fast come up with an answer. They bought it. On the, on the call, basically. And I was like, what just happened? I said I couldn't do this. Oh but it was like, the wheels were in motion. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I just kept doing it every step. Because everyone's really understanding. They're like, if you can't make the deadline, just let us know. And I'm like, well, I can do the story, Doc. Yeah, I can do that. And then you turn it in. I'm like, yeah, I can write an outline. Okay, sure. Like, I guess I can do the first draft. <laughs> so, like, wow. I just oh kept gosh. doing it, and my producer was amazing. The studio was amazing. The network was amazing. Even though I had to redevelop it like about a hundred times, I still, I don't know. I'm, it was better than taking care of a screaming baby, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> That's you fair. permission to ask someone else to take care yeah. of a screaming baby because you had to write. Yes, so that's not a bad. Thing. My husband took paternity leave. My in-laws stayed with us, and because my baby was is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, he's wow. wonderful. Tell him Paul, that you're he's wonderful. About seventeen. <laughs> yeah. That's that's incredible. It was. Amazing. I mean, you. So you were doing. Uh, clearly, you didn't have to go anywhere for this. Like well, you were doing it over the phone. And, yeah, yeah, I did it entirely from home in my yeah. pajamas. Yeah. 
I mean, like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. A lot of the pain in the ass about development is going in and out of going like driving down to Culver City and stuff. Yeah, and I think people are really nice to me because they knew that I had a like two week old. So I got a lot of notes, but they were very friendly. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I was like, you did a great job. Can you like <laughs> afraid that like I was gonna start screaming and crying at them or something? I don't oh know. God. Had you sold and developed in the past? No. This is your I first had, pilot. It's the first one I've sold. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for the next one when you see it doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had been prepared for it to be hellish, and like it was really only hellish because I never got to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just, I guess, I really liked everyone I was working with. I really liked the project. I feel like it turned out really well. So, and after those initial uh, workplace notes from mm-hmm. the network, what other kinds of notes were you getting, and how did you deal that, with them? That was really the majority of the notes, mm-hmm. was to push it in a different direction, and then a note that was really smart, which was to hold off um, the reveal that he was self-aware until the very end. I had initially had it earlier, uh, kind of like a midpoint moment, mm-hmm. um, which actually, when I'd first started pitching it, I had wanted to hold it off, but I thought network is very impatient. You always have to yeah, have story, 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 right. story, network. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. there's no way I'm going to be able to get away with this. And they were really supportive of kind of slow rolling the romance, which I was really surprised by. Did they talk about by. why at all? No. That's really and interesting. And since it was what I wanted to do anyway, I was like, yes, yes, your note is right. <laughs> like, I will do it. The, the, that's a slow rolling network. And if you made that in cable, he wouldn't become self-aware till the end of season it, one. Exactly. Right, exactly. It, yeah. The slow yeah. roll would be like, I think I'm going to make it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go have sex with my stepbrother while I think about it. Like, just let me just. <laughs> what no, kind of channel is that? <laughs> Stars. <laughs> Stars. Um, Krista, you've, you've done pilots for both cable and network. Is that right? Yes. And um, not number of them uh and and comedy and drama too right or at least light drama uh i've done a light i i've i've never written a half hour sure but i've done sort light, of hour long light yeah. drama and heavier drama and i've i think i've sold 12 and made five wow um, hey that's pretty those good are good yeah <laughs> it, and, you know, I sit around and go, and none of them have gone to series. Yeah. It's like we all have yeah. our, our, like, rung of the ladder yeah. where we get stuck or frustrated. or. Um, but I've but I've had really good experiences. I've had really bad experiences. Um, <laughs> was there one that you can think of that was sort of uh, instructive going forward that you ta- taught you something about dealing with the development process? Yeah. Um Last year, I'm going to talk about deep emotional life instead of process. This is because it's part of the process of staying functional as an artist, I think, is learning how to process disappointment in a way that doesn't make you want to quit and Mm -hmm. go get a cubicle somewhere. Um, Last year, I wrote a pilot. I developed it with Bad Robot, with JJ's company, for ABC. So I was working with JJ and Disney the month that Star Wars became the biggest movie in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 100% that pilot was getting made, right? Huh. 100% that pilot was getting made. And that was the, everybody's approach because it had a big penalty against it, mm-hmm. because it was straight down the middle in terms of network TV, because I've gotten good at, at, at delivering what I say I'm going to mm-hmm. deliver, because um, all of those things I just described, the head of the studio took me out to lunch, told me it was his favorite pilot of the year. They made us prep it. 
for a month. We prepped it. We hired a line producer. We hired a casting director. We uh, were going over budgets. We were having fights about where we were going to shoot it. Then guess what happened, you guys? <laughs> you shot it, and it's on TV. Am I right? Yeah, you are close. You are close. Trump's um, network. Uh, it didn't get made. It got caught in a political battle between people who had nothing to do. Like, it got caught at the upper levels of the network in ways that I have only recently come to understand. And um, uh, and 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 the call just came in that it that it wasn't going to go, and it I am the age that I am, which is a lie on Wikipedia. And twenty seven, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been through a lot of versions of disappointment. I've been through making. I also had a thing the year before. I wrote a pilot called Studio City for Fox that Deadline had as a. It's on sure the air. Go. It's a sure go. It's a yeah. sure go. It's a sure go, and they always know. Almost <laughs> always, always correct. Yeah. They know before we know what's happening. It's a sure go. It's a sure go. It had an incredible cast. Senna Homry directed it. It was really good. And in the morning of the pickups, I woke up and Deadline had a headline, 11th hour reversal, (gasps) 11th hour reversal. Studio City seems to be out of favor and has been replaced by this other, you know, whatever, Lucifer, Luther, uh, something with an L that I've never watched out of bitterness. And, uh, (laughs) And so between those two experiences, I reached a breaking point with my ability to Invest like you always go. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to put my eggs in that, ba-, but you really put your fucking eggs in that basket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this year, I wrote a pilot that had a huge penalty against it. I wrote it with John. I wrote it with John Wells Productions, who's made twenty billion trillion dollars yeah. for NBC. I wrote it for NBC and Warner Brothers with John Wells. Had a very big penalty. It was a put pilot, and my gut told me it wasn't going to go. And my gut told me that way before we were having the conversation because I've been through this so many times. And everybody in my life said, that's now a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like, that's now a sure, defense sure. mechanism. And I was like, you know what? Even if it is, I'm going to live like it's not going to go. And the way that I made that actual is that I took myself on a writer's retreat with a friend of Palm Springs and we brainstormed <laughs> all the ideas that we could possibly come up with for new things that I could do, for what I could do next when this thing doesn't go. If this thing doesn't go, I disengaged from the project emotionally because it was no longer in my control. As an artist, I can only control the art. I cannot control the outcome. So I went away and I did my work. I have a friend who just made uh, 12 episodes of a show for CBS, and it went to and out. It was a beautiful show. It was an incredibly well-crafted show. It went as an activist show. What show? Uh, Doubt, mm-hmm. starring Laverne Cox and Katie Heigl and Dulé Hill and Elliot Gould. And yeah. it was, we had Joan on this show a few months ago, and she talked so, about it. And people should listen to okay. that and get interested in that show get and it, find it. Find a way to see it. <laughs> uh, it's devastating. And yet what I said to her when that call came in is... It is, you know, because first of all, I said to her, because we all go, I'm a fraud, I'm a failure, I'm a fraud, I'm a failure, is you have made it 12 episodes further than I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, so unless you think I'm a fraud and a failure, you're not a fraud and a failure. You, you're, 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 you're at a higher rung of the ladder than me. Yeah. And my dad said to me when I was a kid, 
I gave my stepmom the nickname Soda Fountain. It was some conversation with my dad and my stepmom because she had been defeated in some artistic endeavor. And I don't know if I made this up or if my dad made it up, but it has always stuck with me that we are the Soda Fountain and that is a Coke we are the soda fountain, and that script is a Coke. And if we approach it, if we make it our whole lives, yeah, oh yeah. we can't enjoy our kids, our yeah. love affairs, our anything. If we put the power of our sanity into the hands of the people who are deciding if our work gets seen. So that changed for me this year. I didn't... I, it didn't I actually, break you when it didn't, it didn't let it break yeah. me, and I moved on in my head emotionally before they could destroy me, and so. But that, and that's an interesting th- a couple things here that you know. You do have to care about the project. You have mm-hmm. to care about the thing while you're doing it, right? You have to invest in the thing while you're doing it, and imagine that this is going to go for ten years. But yes. once it's handed in, you do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, you kind of do. Once it's handed right? in, you have to do the opposite. You have to invest in it emotionally, or you yeah. won't create the art that you want to create. Yeah. But you cannot put your happiness. Mm-hmm. At, you cannot attach your well-being or your happiness to what happens once your work is done. You cannot sure. control it, and it's not about you. Right. So, and this is the thing that comes up here quite often, which is like, as writers, you can only control what you can control. Right. So much of it is out of our control. And so much of this business is rejection and failure. Yes. So do the thing that you can do. Do your art. Yeah. Do your art. Be an artist. Write great stories. And you can't just be an artist. You have to also work with the studio and the network and take mm-hmm. their notes and apparently between contractions. <laughs> but you also have to be a business person. But you cannot attach your happiness and well-being and sanity and sense of worth to the outcome. Yeah, and your identity. You have to find another way to base your identity. You can't just be a writer or you'll go crazy. And something else my dad said, which is very similar to what you were talking about, is it's just TV. We're not saving lives. Mm -hmm. And because people get so dramatic and so invested and you have to remember that, hey, guys, we're writing TV shows. Like, it's okay. It feels like the stakes are so huge. Yeah. But really, we're just telling little stories. Um, What was you guys, uh, Wendy and Lizzie, what was your experience this year? Were you healthy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe we were just really blessed with low (laughs) self-esteem. So, like, when something doesn't go, we're just like, yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. I I I also think, like, for a while we had a spec script floating around that where, like, it was about people, like, smoking pot. And I think people thought Lizzie and I smoked a lot of pot. But I think we just have that... Persona- we have those personalities without actually smoking a lot of pot. Like, where we're just like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> stuff doesn't go. I, I don't know why. I, it just yeah. doesn't. I try I to sort of why. go into each uh, development season just kind of like, we'll just see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, you really, yeah. I, I mean, it's not, it, it's, it's so hard to predict. And I feel like I always, early on, I'm like, they're not. This isn't happening. I, I feel like I can always <laughs> tell from the first note. But you call. still have to do the best you can. You do a hundred percent because you don't want to have a shitty script. Look, can I swear? Is that okay? Yeah. You don't want to have a shitty script floating around out there at all. But you do have to say, I'm going to do the absolute best I can. But like you were saying, it. I think what stood out to me the most about what you said is when they said they need more of this this year. You're mm-hmm. writing against like sort of companies yeah. and their agendas, so you have to still try to make your script really good. And they may just say, you know what, we're not doing, uh, you know, ours was essentially kind of a dark romantic comedy this year. We were rebooting um, the show Pulling from the BBC oh, yeah. with Sharon Morgan. Yeah. Oh, Did gosh, you work with Sharon? So funny. Yeah. 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 She was amazing so and good. lovely. And so it, it was a, a show process. that we were like Dying fans of. So, yeah. I mean, it was so much fun to get to do a version of it. Um, Who did you do it for? 
Um, NBC. NBC. Yeah. And <laughs> well, they, they didn't they, pick they up they the usual had a, no, they, actually, they had a switch they in the middle. They decided to pick up Will and Grace, and then they picked up another multicam to pair with it. And that, I mean, who knows if we would have ever been in the mix anyway. Because, I mean, Lizzie had I a really said, good point yeah. during the... What's your your pearl of wisdom early on? She knew we weren't getting picked up from very early. Cause. Well, because <clears throat> I think our first big notes call with them, they they sort of asked, like, we sort of redeveloped the original pilot, but, you know, changed it to be more American and sure. sort of our version that new you characters. Just put in potato chips scattered yeah, the script. Doritos. And, Doritos, like, yeah, uh, boobs. Well, that's uh, a, boobs, like, everybody's like, blah, 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 blah. yeah, boobs all the time. That's a few <laughs> years old, yeah. too, right? Pulling... Yeah, so I think it was, like... 2006. Yeah. 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 Ten years old. But they, we, you know, we did the outline, or we, I can't even remember if that was the draft. I think it was that outline mm-hmm. and then they said what if it wasn't the pilot version so right. I, I kind of get a sense that they yeah. bought something that they're not sure that that's the thing they want mm-hmm. right I think they 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 want a different show so they, they decided something that they need and then they see what they have and they say could we push this into that thing that into we that need angle. right? and like could you just sort of make this into that mm-hmm. like right. you were saying with mm-hmm. the, you know we need a workplace or mm-hmm. we need a family could we it just be a family version? Yeah, I mean that's their job, yeah. so I'm not criticizing right. it. Even with this, like we had a lovely time developing with NBC. It was more that then Lizzie got the sort of hairs on the back of the neck of this probably isn't exactly what they're looking for this year. Mm-hmm. So then you, I mean, you just have to. We still did like all of their notes and everything they said and tried to do the best version of that mm-hmm. that we can. But again, like I said, I think our are, are we're like okay, <laughs> like put the boat in the water, buy boat, like yeah. that's. I mean, it's just like nothing you can do about right. it. It's such a crazy business that you're um, just like, And they have you know. like every, you know, network now. It's sort of like they're creating their brand or what is their show? Mm-hmm. Like what's, who are they getting to watch their channel? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in some ways you're just, it fits on what they need that year or it doesn't. And you could write the best thing in the whole world, the most funny thing and cast the most amazing people and they're still not going to pick it up because they like they need that workplace thing but also you mentioned a thing that happens all the time which is why we have to keep our feet on the ground emotionally in some other way than did they make my thing is that they move the finish line on you they in the middle of the season they decided to pick up will and grace and now it became about multi-camps it's no longer about single camps and they move the finish line after they buy your shit all the fucking time (laughs) and there it's just how this town works it needs to get a little of your like (laughs) Like fire instead of like Yeah, try. It's yeah. We're in our we're in our like middle slump. I see. We're like in our like sort of like we've had five and shot one, so we don't have near your percentage. (laughs) Yeah. So Uh, I well, uh, there was a point where I was five out of six. So the six was that was rough. But (laughs) but but the very first pilot I ever made was called Introducing Lenny Rose, and when I and I made it, I pitched it while we were making season one of Grey's Anatomy. So that's how long ago it was. And ABC was fourth. They they were fourth. And they said to me, um, if you could get women 18 to 34 to stay on our network for anything other than The Bachelor, you would be our hero. They said to me in my pitch, so I pitched them this little show about a woman between the ages of 18 and 34. Trying to make it. can't tell what age she is. Somewhere between 18 and 34. Is she in college or is she starting a fertility? treatments. Nobody knows. Could be either. Keep it loose. (laughs) I wrote this pilot. I made this pilot. In between when I sold the pilot, somewhere in between when I sold it and when I made it, 
Grey's Anatomy, Lost, and Desperate Housewives premiered. And ABC went from fourth place to first. And when they called me to pass, with zero irony or acknowledgement, they said... Your pilot tested through the roof with women 18 to 34, <laughs> but that's just not a broad, broad enough demographic for us anymore. Wow. Yeah. Really? And you just go, yeah. <laughs> like, I just shot myself in the head. But, y- you know, that, I mean, I really, I mean, I went to bed for weeks. It, 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 like, I was young and it was yeah. devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And I had this bad habit back then of writing my own true, like, writing my own life story into my pilots. I recommend against it. Because <laughs> you take it so much more personally when it doesn't go. Like, well, that's also, I think, yeah, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, I think maybe Lizzie and I just process all of that as we're going. Because it's such a sure. like, there was one year when we got so many notes calls and I had a bottle of Advil on my desk for headaches. And every time we had a notes call, we would quietly open, open it, it <laughs> pour all of the pills on the table, and then spend the whole call dividing it into two equal piles, like very slowly and solemnly. And then we would both scoop them into our hands and pretend to take them during the call. And I think it just made maybe made us feel better. Because yeah. we were like, and I'm not making a suicide joke. Believe me, I just dig it seriously. I'm not, I don't feel but, like somebody's But it's a good like, suicide it joke. Funny. But yeah. it's like, um, I care very deeply about mental health. But uh, it was don't just like really our way count of, the pills, you don't guys. do it. It was, I committed suicide yesterday, and I'm oh, really just shit. This joke. But it was just like, or, or I think maybe also having a partner helps you because you're there's somebody sure. literally where there's something in the room that they say where you can literally just be like, no one can see this because I'm on a microphone. Right. But like where you do the eyes wide and like head to the side <laughs> right. thing real fast to your writing partner, where it's like somebody's reflecting to you that this is crazy, yeah. and that might also help with the coping as it goes. Is like this is nuts, yeah. and then you can still do the best you can, but you know that it's a little nuts as it goes. And I think. Too just I I feel like I have I know which pilot you're talking about that we worked on but we had so many calls and so I I feel calls. like you learn how to like protect yourself or like when you need to like be able to take those calls like I were I was like on vacation for like a few of them and I have just like these distinct memories of like everyone else I was with was like eating lunch and I was like out in the like rental car just like on the Trying phone for two hear. hours being yeah. like. Oh. Okay, so we got the the notes, so we we got it. Like, but you just there's a lot of, so I feel like we've also just learned to like sort of brace yourself and like figure out like how do you minimize like the amount of like work and calls and all of that. How can you like navigate trying to protect the product a little bit, right? Navigate from, through it without just completely being burned out before you've even started the draft. Which yeah. is and as you hard. go, as you get a little more confident, I think as the years have gone by. You learn because I think the first couple years we did it, it was like, oh, we have to do every little thing Mm -hmm. that gets said. And then you start to learn that maybe by the time it goes back in, some of the crazier things will have been forgotten even by the people who said them. And you can kind of shuff them off to the side. But the first couple of years you're doing it, you know, it just doesn't fit. You don't realize that it would be better and you'll wind up with a better thing and they'll be happier with you you if you don't listen to every single thing. Because every once in a while you get something so crazy that if you did it. It's going to create more work for everyone for like another month, and you're going to be so late turning in. So you have to. I think you begin to get that filter. I don't know if ours is, you know. And you know that they're probably not going to make it. So you're just like, (laughs) okay, I'm just going to do the thing that I think's the best. And if you you do, you're probably not going to make it either way. I think that's that's an important lesson. I'm sure you guys have all experienced that. Is like you know this project better than they do, better than anyone does, And, and ultimately you have to decide. 
right? What's yeah. the important yeah. things? What are the important notes that you can or can't take? Right. Um, I want to talk about, um, let, let's stick with you guys for a minute. Just, uh, I'm sure you've told the story a million times, so you can give me the fake version or the short version. Um, <laughs> how did you guys start working together? Um, we met on an online chat room uh-huh. for people with the last name Molino. No, um, it turned like Tinder, out we Tinder were for siblings. Tinder yeah. for siblings. And, um, well, I was already out of school and Lizzie was still in college. Um, yeah, so I was just in L.A. I did like an, you know, I interned over the summer at a production company and I knew I wanted to do something in entertainment, but I hadn't, I didn't know really what that meant. Um, and uh, we were coming, you know, tasked with like coming up with some movie ideas for I think like Amy Poehler or something at the time um, and they the producer liked an idea that I pitched so I was like very excited and thought like well, okay now I'm gonna just be like this amazing you know film producer um <laughs> Because that's how it happened. Really? You were picturing the next day they'd give you like the director's <laughs> yeah. chair and a, and a megaphone. Wait, they tasked the interns with yeah. coming up for movie ideas for stars. Yeah, pitching. That is so fucked. Yeah. That is so fucked because they're never ever going to give you credit or money. No, of course. Oh, well, no. that's why when she when told then Wendy me came in, that yes. that's what happened. I was like, well, you should just tell them you're going to write it yourself, mm-hmm. and. That's that is, yeah. in fact, what so then we started. She didn't know what that. I mean, you knew what that meant. You're not. You I weren't. Did, <laughs> I didn't know what words. She knew what words meant. meant. But she hadn't done like an outline or things like that. No. And what the steps were, and so we wound up doing it together, and that was fun. And you had you were already writing. I was. I think literally that year. That was the year that I was on that my first TV job, which was the Mangan Mullally's mm-hmm. talk show. Um, was it? And you were just uh, staffed on. on I was that a staff show? writer. Okay. Yeah, um, and it only lasted about six months, which I think for the best because Megan's gone on to do like was that a, a daily show yes we taped six wow. shows a week was Ooh. it in LA yes okay. <laughs> and I love Megan and, and the, no, it was it was fun be, it, it, parts of it were fun because like Nick at the time was not mm-hmm. you know a, a, a huge TV star yet or anything so he was kind of hanging around and we would make these little comedy videos with them after work that's what like you want to do but then when you're in that machine of you know, a, a syndicated talk show. They also want you doing like cooking segments and this and that. It wow. it was a very crazy experience. People who do a daily show, I I I'm, I feel like my hair was like falling out. I was like, I wasn't yeah. sure I ever wanted to work in television again because wow. a daily talk show is a very different animal than working on a scripted show. So it was very. I found it stressful to the extreme, and we kind of knew that it wasn't doing well enough to continue. Mm-hmm. So when Lizzie and I started working on this thing, I kind of knew that. We were probably not long for the world with the talk show, but luckily, stayed. Megan plays Gail on Bob's Burgers, so we've always stayed oh, nice. in touch and stayed. And, and Nick's been on it a bunch too, so it, it was that was a positive experience in that you know, like sure. meeting people, making relationships. I don't think I'm cut out for the talk show world. No, it's, but, it's um, a whole different set of skills. It feels like, uh, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, sorry, digression. And yeah. then we started. Um, yeah, so we, we wrote a screenplay wrote, together. Yeah, a screenplay of that idea, and it, so I I've not gone back and read that. In I like a million either. years, I'm, I'm sure curious. it's not that the best. Did screenplay but... sort of become the the magic script for you? Did that open doors? Um, no, we no, actually we we signed on with them with these managers, Kaplan Prone, who are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and they read that script, but that didn't wind up. They were kind of like, let's develop something else. And then we wrote this other script called My Sister's Marrying a Douchebag, and that got on the blacklist. And that's how we started getting meetings. Great oh, title. And um, <laughs> getting out in the world. That was yeah. kind of how we got, you know. Which of your husbands? was it about (laughs) (laughs) it was about all of our husbands all of our husbands (laughs) put together Um, yeah so I I guess long story short we just kind of 
worked together sort of as a way of introducing me to writing and yeah. we just liked working together and it, and took. it was fun yeah. yeah we just stuck and what is uh what is your process how do um, you two work together well, for Bob's, you know, of course, it, you know, when you go out on script, we we don't work in the same room. Like, one of us will take Act One and then send it to the other, and that person rewrites Act One and adds Act Two, and then oh, yeah. on and on. And then, usually, then one and two and three, then back to the other person for four, we'll and then we draft. get in the same room. Yeah, and we'll do, like, our, you know, our last day, we'll sit together and go through and, you know, alt jokes and mm-hmm. fix things and all yeah. that. But and with then, Bob's, it's, it's just, we're it's such a... Right. We, done it for seven years so I feel like we can do like our separate stuff and yeah and then for feature it does help more to like you know sometimes we'll use the writer's room and Bob because we can you know put it up on the wall with a projector and kind of work through stuff together and it's such a bigger document that it's like Mm -hmm. in order to close it out you really need a lot of time together versus a TV but I would say I mean we do a fair amount like of a of early drafts of things or outlines and stuff like that we do some of it separate and just mm-hmm. kind of back and forth get it to a point that's pretty good and then we'll sit together and finish it yeah that um, seems that makes a lot of sense and it seems efficient yeah. too but i mean yeah. we i mean other uh partners on our show like they they do everything together like they're in the same room or they're on Skype the whole time and (laughs) I mean (laughs) I think neither of us is that type of person somehow so luckily neither of us needs that so yeah we are not not there's anything wrong with needing it I mean it's lucky that we have the same opinion right yeah but it's also that you you don't maybe because you're sisters or maybe because you are stellar humans (laughs) you don't have that much ego you're willing when you said I write an act one I send it to my sister (laughs) she rewrites my act one and adds an act two, I was like, I had a little mini seizure inside. <laughs> and I thought, do you, are you, do you ever pick up the phone and be like, bitch, why'd you change that joke on page three? Like, it was funny. I mean, occasionally I'll say like, I really like that thing. I Do you care if I put it back in? But I mean, also just working on a show week to week, like so much gets changed yeah. that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. right. you know, you, you're not too precious about it. I think with like maybe a feature or something like that, there's a little bit more of like we'll hold what people write a little bit more and or like mm-hmm. change after we've discussed things or you know mm-hmm. but yeah. I think with it's a bigger with Bob's it's just I mean you know it, it's so weird going into like knowing that your script's gonna get rewritten by the room but you enjoy that and it always turns out better so you're not like and coming you still from have a place to do of, a good job absolutely but you know it's gonna change but you, yeah you're dynamic. like this you know I'm kind of got, got what I think we should have but yeah. I know it'll get better so you can. I will say that's a, since we're talking about process, that's a thing I learned uh, when I went to Shameless because yeah. Shameless functions a lot more like a comedy room. Mm-hmm. And I had only been mm-hmm. it, it, sort of an hour long TV where it's like you and the showrunner. It's like right. you write your script, you turn it into the showrunner, the showrunner gives you notes, you rewrite it, the showrunner then rewrites you. Mm. And that's how it works. The oh, room doesn't see your, anything yeah. oh, after weird. you go off to outline. The room is off breaking future episodes. Mm. So at Shameless, you bring in your outline to the room and everybody sits around the table and you get noted by oh, every my. writer in the room and then you bring your script into the room yeah. and you get noted by every writer in the room and, and people pitch jokes and things like that. And the showrunner, John Wells, sits at the table and sort of directs traffic. Mm-hmm. He'll have his notes, but if you pitch something, if he, he's like, I have a note on page 16 and he's, he'll say the note, but if you're like, oh, I have a different note there, he'll think about it and go, yeah, no, hers is better. Do her, Or he'll say, Whoa. no, do mine. 
mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Like he'll yeah. I've heard he's, he's, he's done this for all of his he's, shows. He's too. incredible. He's it's really in, incredible. he's an incredible writer and mentor and yeah. uh, showrunner. He's incredible. Would you run a show that way? Now I would. Now I would. I had learned Brad's method. So mm-hmm. when I was doing Grays, I was keeping a 40-hour week writer's room and I was doing it that way, but the amount of work on me of being the person, yeah. the only person reading and noting everything and then having to get into the room and steer things and you don't get all the brain benefit of all yeah. these highly paid writer producers and and John is like he wants everybody's brain on everything. Yeah. But yeah. the only way yeah. that works is that he keeps a 9-hour a week writer's room because when everybody's job on the staff is to read and note every <laughs> Outline sure. and script. They, there's not a. There's not time to sit in the room forty hours a week. Uh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he doesn't. You no, know, we don't. We don't live life like that. No, no. That's we great. go home. No, no. Awesome. We have like. See his wife and kids, and so yeah. we we keep a nine hour a week writers room. I don't know that I would. The reason John can do that is because he can. <laughs> He's John Wells. He gets sure. every the, the pick of the litter writer. Yeah. Like he gets who he wants, and he yeah. gets us to come in and cut our salary in half <laughs> to work for him. So <laughs> it's it's everybody's capable of going off and breaking story by themselves. Right. They don't need the room to teach them how to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think a, a, I, I don't think anymore that a forty hour week writer's room is necessary. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, I want to talk uh, going back to the but beginning. I don't like working. <laughs> <laughs> you Are don't we? think a forty hour week is necessary. And and yet you did all your work right after giving birth. But kind of I actually didn't birth. work that many hours a day because I was breastfeeding my baby like every hour and a half. It just makes you work efficiently. I think way too much time is wasted. Sure, that's a good point. <laughs> I think our writing is just so casual that it's like, I guess we probably are there. 40 hours a week, but it's like two people like face down on a couch and somebody like <laughs> throwing yeah. gummies at each other. Like it's just not, yeah, watch it's not all the professional new, at all. Watch the new movie trailer. Very un- it's That's a very right. unprofessional that environment. That is exactly what I've learned in it. Is that you, is that when you're in the room 40 hours a week, you're really only working probably 20 of those. Yeah, but I think right. it, but yeah. honestly though, the four hours that we sit and act like assholes is like, <laughs> I think, and then somebody will suddenly be like, well, what if, and then like yeah. the story gets broken. I think it is For some reason, it just is like all that. I think we essentially now, after seven years, like speak in gibberish. Like it's 100% inside jokes now. Yeah. And I think anybody who came into the room would be like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> what are you even talking about? There's like weird songs that we have where I cannot remember. The lyrics don't make sense and no one can remember the origin of them. Yeah. But everyone on staff knows the songs, <laughs> and it's just like I mean, it's it's a weird environment now. But the the time we spend fucking around, I think you know, unfortunately, sometimes is required. Well, and it we're not under the, the same pressures too of yeah. like shooting, you know, with actors and all of that. Like you know, having to get things done on a certain schedule. I mean, we are on a certain schedule, right. but there's still always other things going on in the office. So somebody's in a meeting for you know their animatic just came in and Maybe they're sitting you know. in and yeah. watching that, and someone has a music music spotting thing and people are on audio so there's stuff going on all the time yeah. but <laughs> we, probably, we probably could be more efficient but I don't we know could. But, couldn't. but we are there you know we don't get a hiatus so I think our, yeah, we take sure. a little bit of hiatus every day yeah. for like an hour or two in our minds and then yeah you can be there I don't think every day like, you really, focus, focus yeah on. you maybe really need to look at a picture that look, of a piece of wood that looks like a dog is trapped in it that was a good picture that was a good picture though right uh, Stephanie, I want to come back to you and talk about <laughs> um, about breaking in and and what led to your first job. I have a really weird breaking in story because I come from a big Hollywood family and it still took me forever to break in. So I'm really untalented. Um, 
<laughs> my aunt, you probably know Mimi Leader is a director. <laughs> directed a bunch of Shameless Oh my episodes. god, I love Mimi. She's the best. She's incredible. Yeah, my dad, Ruben Leader, was a showrunner for many years, still writes. Um, I had no interest in being a writer. I went to Berkeley, studied sociology, political mm-hmm. science. I was a yeah. radical. I went to Berkeley. <laughs> no way. Yeah. You probably saw me selling the International Socialist paper on the quad. <laughs> I totally saw it. I knew I recognized <laughs> That's who I was. Um, no longer. Uh, I moved to L.A. I was writing a novel on a lark because I was naive and thought, oh, it'll take me a couple months. And I'll move to Argentina. Um, okay. Go on. And I was basically struggling, waitressing, teaching English as a second language, um, trying to be a novelist. My Aunt Geraldine, who's a casting director, was like, uh, have you thought of TV? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I don't own a TV. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, but you're really broke. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, but TV is really fun. I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, maybe you should think about it. And she introduced me to script coordinator, who I... Um, met with who's really generous and was like why don't you come shadow me and he was working on a multicam called stacked um i remember stacked mm, yeah pamela anderson that's vehicle right. she works in a bookstore that's right I, but it was really really <laughs> well written it was all the writers who are now the writers on modern family and uh i sat in that room for a week and i was like oh my god this is the most fun i've ever had this is the best thing in the world like yeah i want to be a writer i guess i should watch some tv now <laughs> i guess i should buy a tv well can someone buy it for me because i'm broke <laughs> dad <laughs> Um, so I, months later, they needed a writer's assistant. I became a writer's assistant. And so I was a writer's assistant for years <laughs> before, mm-hmm. before I was on a show where someone like asked to read my stuff and had a script to give. And that was Carter Covington, who I will love forever. Wow. And that was 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. So, um, were you writing your own scripts in this time? I was learning writing how to do it? specs. Uh, yeah, I wrote some specs. It was a... The New Adventures of Old Christine spec mm-hmm. that Carter mm-hmm. read and loved. I loved that show so much. Because um, <laughs> it's my family. That was exactly my family. So it was almost like writing a pilot. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know if I had written a pilot during that time. I might have. Uh, but, and, and then the specs of, his, of existing shows were sort of the thing that was anyway. The thing That's then. what people yeah. were yeah, I don't do that anymore. So totally changed, and it yeah. pisses me yeah. off that it's changed. <laughs> really? Yes, because if you're a TV writer, you have to you have to be able to write in someone else's voice. Oh, um, and the point of the spec script is to show the, the showrunner that yeah. you can write in their voice right. and that your pilot is unique and delightful, I'm certain. But I want to see that you can suspend your own voice and write in someone else's. Sure. Makes me crazy that nobody's writing specs anymore. But I was like the last dinosaur. I would say to, yeah. like, like when I was staffing, I'd be like, I'm not reading them if they don't have a spec. <laughs> Do you feel like the original pilots, though, that can get closer to the voice you're looking for give you enough or... I feel that it's it's a bummer for our business that the, that because when we when I was starting out, you wanted to have something original and you wanted to have specs. Yeah. You wanted to have yeah. both, and people would read both. They would want to see what your voice was, and then that you could suspend mm-hmm. your voice and write in yeah. someone else's. And that is the skill set that is unique to this to yeah. this thing that I've not always been able to do. I've I've had jobs where I couldn't write in the voice of, of that showrunner. Yeah. And so I, I wish it was still the trend, 
but it, yeah. but I and I even told some young writer like a year ago I was like yeah no definitely write us back and then I had dinner with my agent and he was like you have no. to stop telling people back. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah we went so we did a like a little talk somewhere and it, I think the teacher was still telling the students to do a spec of something and I was like mm, no 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 no, 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 no. nobody's I mean, gonna I mean it's it's a good it's exercise. a good exercise I guess it's just something you That's don't want to necessarily time show people exercise. but yeah, yeah I think you kind of want to write the type of pilot that you feel like you would love to get staffed yeah. on but yeah but then that also yeah well and and maybe it is but because someone got i mean people think that that show is going to read that spec still right. that's still like a confusion out there where people will offer to send yeah. me a Bob's Burger spec and i'm like please don't please don't please don't, please don't. And there are fewer shows to spec than there used to be because yes. there are so many shows yeah well also shows, the showrunner's not even going to know the show you're specking exactly right? so. that's, that's yeah. the i will say now. that wells also sort of his theory and I've watched it and it's different than than sort of how I grew up but his right. theory is um, hire great writers and the actors and the directors will homogenize the voice toward the middle like so he hires a lot of playwrights like people who yeah. can just go away and break story by themselves and write a great script even if it so sometimes huh. if you watch Shameless if you really watch it like if you binge watch it you can start to recognize which writer wrote which episode. You can, mm-hmm. Our voices are different. Mm-hmm. And, and John will do a little mm-hmm. massaging toward the middle and then the directors and the cast, but he, he doesn't feel that attachment to suspend your own voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, I agree. I, I do think it's a good exercise, certainly, to have uh, write a spec of an existing show. It's been a small crusade on this podcast to get people to do that. And you still do need them for fellowships and, and sure. contests and things like right. that. Sure. That's what yeah. they tend to accept. And the occasional asshole like me who goes, well, do they have a TV spec? Which, yeah. which I think, <laughs> right. when you had to have both, I think it was, think it was a great situation. My, um, what did you write? I wrote a Will and Grace spec. Nice. So did I. Somehow what Will and Grace yours? has been a part of my life just all, all along. Ruining it constantly. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, it was me and my friend Jeremiah. This was before Lizzie and I were working together. And yeah, we were in a Will and Grace spec. Nice. That yeah. was a good show to spec, too. The yeah, voices the time, were so strong. At the time. Yeah. I'm going to send it to you, Chris. Please do. Please do. <laughs> to see if I can get it on to Shameless. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was what was uh, Grace kisses a woman. That was uh, our big idea. Nice I thought it was, that was a good. good. That was a good great idea. idea. You guys, I want your approval. <laughs> I'm desperate for your approval. <laughs> you know, my first specs taught me that I needed to change careers because the first thing that I specced was friends. Mm. I oh, fr- specced friends and I specced mad about you. Uh-huh. And I specced just shoot me. I wrote a lot of specs. That's why I'm bitter that nobody writes specs. Uh, yeah. uh, mad about you is my first. Spec, I got the, the same notes from too many people. You're really great at character. This is very funny. It's not funny enough. Mm. It's wow. not. I wasn't willing to suspend what I considered to be emotional reality in mm-hmm. order to insert joke. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and you have to, in half hour, be willing to suspend whatever you consider to be emotional reality to make the funniest joke three times on a page, basically. Yeah. And that wasn't my, I, it wasn't my cup of tea. And that was very painful. But then I was told to write hour-long TV. It had taken me, I think, four months to write my friend spec, and it took me Four days yeah. to write a yeah, spec of felicity. You can feel when you, right. yeah. when you hit your right thing, thing, it's like it was the best advice I ever got, but it felt like the most painful thing in the world at of the course, time. Right. But I don't have to work those crazy nights that sitcom writers work. <laughs> yeah. I have a be- it's a better life. So that's my little spiritual thing. That's like when you get sh- awful, when awful shit happens, sometimes it's the best it's thing. It's the best sure. yeah. Uh, yeah. Was that Felicity spec the thing that went out and became a uh, calling card? Yes, it was. That's great. So that <laughs> yeah. led to work. Yeah. Um, guys, we are just about out of time. 
Um, this was delightful. Thank you all so much. I want to hear uh, what you guys are watching on TV right now. What are you excited about? What are you guys talking about with each other, with your rooms, with your friends and loved ones? Um, Stephanie, let's start with you. I don't get to watch a lot of TV these days because apparently it'll fuck up your child in perpetuity if you watch TV. <laughs> so that's nah. I think we're all proof of that. <laughs> so Amazon. Jane the Virgin is the one that I've really been keeping mm-hmm. up with and my crazy ex-girlfriend. Good ones. Mm-hmm. Good ones. Lizzie, what do you want? Um, I just finished um, Happy Valley season two. I was really behind. Okay. So I just finished that and I'm really sad. I think they are doing a season three, I heard. But yeah. It's like, I, but I've, I just loved it so much. I like really dark TV. Um, and then uh, Search Party recently finished. Um, and then other than that, I'm watching like terrible reality stuff right now. What is your terrible <laughs> reality of choice? Um, I like pretty much everything on Bravo. So mm-hmm. all the housewives. Yeah. Because um, sometimes I feel like I can't watch, like it's hard for me to watch other comedies because I feel like I'm just like evaluating it the whole yeah. time. Yeah. It's not so relaxing. I like drama and then like a, a really interesting comedy like Search Party because mm-hmm. it had like that element to it. And then otherwise I just I like to watch things and like turn my brain off at night. That's so fair. That's, yeah. Yeah. Comedy Good. wise, I would say Search Party was amazing. I love to watch Billy on the Street. I wish it was in production uh, yeah. year round. It's just <laughs> such a that's what I watch when the I have a little baby, too. And when he gets up in the middle of the night, I'll watch the old Billy on the Streets because it's the perfect that's thing. Right. To like, yeah. just take your mind off of everything, and it's not in our format. Attention. It's not in our format, so mm-hmm. I don't. You never thinking like, oh, is that a good act blow? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like he just ran away from an old woman, <laughs> called her a bitch. <laughs> like that's the perfect joke. That's the perfect joke. And then I also though I don't. I yeah, I'm not. I want to watch comedies and I'll check them out, but I am more drawn to like. The Happy Valleys. I watched this show called Marcello, which is another British detective show. Oh, wait. It's another British yeah, detective right show. Yeah, it's like I'll watch any murder, you know, British murder show, <laughs> sure. basically. I would love to go to Britain and get murdered, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my fantasy vacation. It's my I, fantasy I, vacation. I want that for you. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you. That's so you, nice of you. If you put it out on Craigslist, I'm sure someone can <laughs> help you out with that. I shouldn't actually say that loud because one time I did say I wanted to go to England. England and see Hugh Grant, and then the second night I was there, he was in the restaurant I was in. So I should not say I want to go to Ireland. I want to go to Ireland. I think it only works with Britain. Getting murdered in Ireland would also be so picturesque. So romantic. Oh, yeah. So picturesque. Just on a bluff. Yeah. Fucking dead. More ghosts there, too. Yeah. There's like a handsome Irish guy nearby. Did he do it? Who knows? Sorry. <laughs> Chris, so what are you watching these days? This is so fun. It's like a fun writer's room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thanks. thanks. Uh, what am I watching? I watch a lot of single camera half hours on cable. So um, I'm obsessed with Catastrophe. Oh, oh Rob yeah. And so Sharon good. Morgan and Rob Delaney. And um, uh, Casual, I love. M- okay. Michaela Watkins and I went to college together. So, and okay. we were roommates together in Portland, Oregon, before we moved oh, wow. here. So that's wow. so nice. fun. Um, and... I think Transparent is incredible. And I loved Insecure on HBO. Mm -hmm. It's it's so funny. I I just started watching Divorce. Uh, It's a little traumatizing, particularly with my boyfriend. So we don't, we're, I don't know if we're going to (laughs) get through that one, but it's funny. Um, And, uh, and then I've been watching, I mean, I watch Orphan Black. I watch, but it's it's been, I am waiting for a new season. And, um, 
what else am I watching? An hour-long TV. I've been watching This Is Us. It gives me a good mm-hmm. cry every week. I find it delightful and earnest and <laughs> funny. And I thought that that li- I, I, I can see from your faces that you're not watching it, but they did an incredible. No, I, I, I don't like to have feelings. No. <laughs> they did an incredible, a stunning <laughs> hour. This last hour that they that aired, they just it was. Oh, man, it was like a little piece of art, and I wrote network TV for so many years that I know how hard it is to make art on network TV, yeah. and it, I'm so admire. This is my little love letter to Dan Fogelman. I don't know him, but I'm well, so that, impressed. That's an interesting point. I mean, I think looking at the stuff that's on TV, on network even, but especially on cable, it is changing. I mean, there is more of a creator's voice. Yeah. There is mm-hmm. more risk-taking. It has to. Yeah, it has to stay relevant. They're going to have to, if they want to attract talent, if they want to attract, keep writers writing for network and keep actors showing up, they have to, they have, they're going to have to ease up the so many cooks in the kitchen process. Yeah. And, and trying to appeal to everyone. everybody. Everybody. Yes. Yeah. I, was, I was gonna yeah, Silicon Valley and Veep don't do that. Like yeah. there's no, a lot right. of, yeah, you have to And it's so nice sometimes to get into a show like Atlanta, like I just loved and I was like, this is such a different voice. Like this is not like necessarily like for me, mm-hmm. but it's so great and like I just love watching it. Like it was every episode was so different and like if, I don't know, just it's so nice sometimes to just find something where you're like, wow, what is this? Really I've specific. never seen anything yeah. like and this. And I and I think that for networks they have to start re embracing the idea of like losers and comedy because like Silicon Valley and Veep is riddled with terrible people and yeah. losers mm-hmm. and then networks sometimes is like, could they be good at their jobs? And, and likable. Like, they cannot. Right. No, they can't like when you look at like and, and I'm not, you know, not and the, like the friends were likable, but mm-hmm. they were also not. It wasn't like how can we give them like constant victories, like right. that kind of stuff in comedy. It's working against humor. having those, <laughs> yeah, against humor and yeah. against having the more original. And there are good comedies on network. Don't get me wrong. It's mm-hmm. just that. You know, I think that it's maybe in animation we have less pressure to have them be like, like if you hear the word aspirational, it's like you do want to, it's like time to open your pill bottle because it's just like, <laughs> it's not, people don't aspire to be the funny people in the world. Like they just, I mean, there's, I think friends became sort of aspirational because it's like they got just better hair and stuff as it went. Sure. Like, oh, I'd they love to live in really hair. I will say that I wrote network TV exclusively mm-hmm. for 13 years straight, like 22 episodes mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. And when I came out, it was like I had to I wrote, I sold a movie and I wrote it and it was about divorce and I thought I did such an incredible job and I didn't understand why it didn't get made and it was for Reese Witherspoon, it was for Universal and then I showed it to Rob Delaney who's a right. friend who's who, who's one of the, who's yeah. the actor and creator of Catastrophe yeah. and he read it and he, and he said it's funny but everyone is so fucking well behaved, Krista it's about huh. divorce <laughs> and I was like it's like that network, like, make them likable, make them likable, mm-hmm. make them likable, make them likable, make it yeah. aspirational. It was, like, in me mm-hmm. so that I had not allowed people to behave the way people behave, which right. is horribly, and then the victory feels bigger. But there's been this thing mm-hmm. of make them likable and make it aspirational that gets into you. Yeah. And right. that they're going to have yeah. to start. I think it's like yeah. people want to be inside of a world. It doesn't have to be a good world. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing is, like, the wor- like you want to be inside the crown or Atlanta, mm-hmm. or old friends, or whatever. It just feels like a fully realized place, and for some, that is more like, you know, at the end of the day, you want to go into this little, you know, through the little looking glass into this, like, fully realized mm-hmm. place, and when it's too phony, too aspirational, 
it, it's fine, but it's, you know, I don't know if you, they're going to get back to, like, winning awards and having shows that people are super passionate right. about if they don't change it up you a little You want to relate. That's why Insecure is my favorite. I You want to yeah. relate. I and I, it's like. It feels real. It feels real. And you want to see your own bad behavior. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm watching my 20s on that show, and I feel better about it. <laughs> like, I, I want to grab right. and be like, it gets better. It gets better. You know? <laughs> and then it gets worse again. <laughs> right, you'll get divorced eventually, but it'll get better. For, no. But um, anyway, I I do think they're going to have to. Do we? Is this something? I mean, look, as we know that the network has to shift, uh, and the networks have to shift, and I think it's it is starting to happen. What does that mean for pitching this year? Yeah. Do we go in and do we pitch? what they've made for the past 20 years or do we go in and pitch what the new thing is I think you go in and you pitch what you feel passionately about and they buy it if they buy it and they don't if they don't I think that when you start trying to adjust your pitch to what you think they want you you will die both inside and in your career like mm-hmm. you cannot try to match the voice of what you think is their buying. It's always shifting. So you're it's you're always shifting running so, after something yes. that's changing. Well, and the problem is if you do do that, that'll be the one that they decide to they shoot, may. and they will that's make right. it, and you'll be doing a show that you don't really know or like. Right, but I do think it's a little scary. This does depend a little bit on what phase of your career you're in. Like, you know, if you've done a bunch and you sort of like know the lay of the land and you know how to like kind of, you know fit the thing that you want into something that they will still buy or whatever, you know, like, great. If if you're starting out, if this is your first opportunity, of course it might be a little more of, like, let's aim something. ABC's doing mm-hmm. different types of families. If you have a great show like that, great. Because it's like you do need to get your foot in the door and be That's seen true. as someone who's a sane funny person who can write that first pilot, get through the process, not burn your bridges, do a, do a good script, whether it goes or not, you know, but then if you're, yeah, if you're 10 years in, you may say, yeah. I want to go in there with my big passion project and hope this is the year they take a mm-hmm. chance. So, you know, it's just adjusting yeah, it to where you are. Cause but I know there's you... probably people listening who are more at that yeah. starting line. Stage. But also they can't, they sort of go, look, I'm, I have this show that I love and believe I can sell to this place and this place, but my agent wants me to go sell it to these eight places. Sure. I'm going to try to adjust my pitch slightly toward ABC or slightly toward NBC. Maybe I'll get a different buy, but where I really think I'm going to sell it is CW, and that's where it's speaking to me from. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a way to not try to figure out what they, the big capital T, they mm-hmm. want in Hollywood this year. Because, But but what's nice is they're all going to let us write character stuff again because of yeah. This Is Us. <laughs> so yeah. that's nice. But but yes, you're right. I'm speaking from a lofty, like, well, I want to put well, my yeah, own It depends on how close yeah. you're already getting evicted. Yeah. And there's, yes. a, there's yeah. a difference. Yeah. <laughs> like there's If you're di- about to get evicted, yeah. go fucking sell a piece of shit <laughs> show. But there's also a difference between <laughs> selling your pitch and then what you end, end up, up doing. So yeah, yeah like you can... You as, know, zhuzh up your pitch with all the, you know, right stuff or yeah. wherever you're going. And then you can kind of scoot it back toward what you originally liked a little bit better. I mean, yeah, you're talking to two people who once interviewed to work on a scripted Polly Shore reality show. So, you know. We didn't get We were starving, job. guys. <laughs> Sorry. Not we literally get starving, yeah. but. Congratulations we were, yeah. on not getting we did that not job. Get it, <laughs> and then we got Bob's Burgers right after that. No so, way. I guess. Lauren has no taste. Oh, yeah. Sil- <laughs> silver lining. Silver yeah. lining. We didn't get to meet Polly. But Look, things don't work out how you think <sighs> they're going to. You didn't yep. get to meet Polly. I know. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. <laughs> 
this was all great stuff. Thank Uh, you. Thank you so much. Now leaving Nerdist.com.